Good people all of Donegal, I hope you will attend. And lend an ear and you shall hear those lines I've lately penned. Of those true braves across the waves, so gallant to the core. Who have been true to all of you in a lovely green guidor? Not long ago the wind and snow was a blowing from the west. When a Balfour's men rode down the glen, Brave men for to arrest. Their plan of campaign they did proclaim along the fanned shore. Took McFadden bright the star of light from a lovely green guidor. The Freeman's Journal. 31st of January, 1888. Father McFadden found guilty. Three months' imprisonment. It has been decided by the highest judicial authority that the plan of campaign is an unlawful or criminal conspiracy. Having regard to the serious nature of the charge and the position of influence occupied by the Reverend Defendant, we feel bound, in convicting him, to give him a substantial sentence and that is that he be imprisoned in Londonry Jail for three months. Having regard to his position, we say, without hard labour. There was Father Dan, a fine young man, along with Mr. Blaine. In a dairy art, they took a part, along with Father James. They they gave to try and save from a death a starving poor to oppose those beasts and now hunting priests in a lovely green guidor. The Freeman's Journal, thirteenth of february eighteen hundred eighty nine. The prisoner Canon James McFadden, parish priest of Guidor appeared for the first time since his arrest in court at Bunbeg on Monday the 11th of February. He was brought from Guidor Barracks in the Braum under a heavy escort of Scots Greys and Constabulary. The original charge of conspiracy on which the Reverend Gentleman was arrested was withdrawn, and a fresh charge of murder preferred against him. That he did at Derry Beg in the parish of Talaha Begley in the county of Donegal on the 3rd of February, 1889, maliciously, feloniously, and willfully, with malice aforethought, kill and slay William Limerick Martin. There was great excitement after Mass when at Balfour's the plundering bees came marching with one thousand men to rush Away our priest. Twas in the rush the foe got crushed 
Tis true, he is no more. And afar that same not one got blamed in a lovely green Guidor. The charge of murder levelled against Canon James McFadden of Guidor was the culmination of a long struggle between himself and his people on one hand and the landlords of Donegal and the forces of the law on the other. Within the period of little more than one year between January 1888 and February 1889, he had been convicted on one conspiracy charge, sentenced to three months' imprisonment, and served, in fact, nearly nine months, been charged with conspiracy a second time only two months after his release, and then with the willful murder of Inspector Martin of the RIC, who had met his death while attempting to arrest the priest after Sunday Mass in Derry Beg. The root of the trouble could be traced back to the coming of Lord George Hill to Guidor as landlord 50 years earlier and to his reorganisation of the whole system of land tenure. Well, the I grew in a way in Talo, you know, Hulish and Shan Horus Rondale, I guess, and Talo or Ranjahur Nui, I guess, Eremen or Tahananya. Well, the Ranjahan, the other Shian Keys, we in Keys, we are Hananian, to the Mercado, who is a Komorus to be sure of Vision. I guess, Jesus Goshen and Bonneville, and Rodder Lake. Lanchin <laughs> To the editor of the Derry Journal, Sir. The gallant colonel who has undertaken the unenviable task of managing the hill property in Guador comes again on the scene in his usual character after four months' retirement. Viewing the courage of this soldier in the light of experience, his threats may be regarded as empty banter and nothing more. At the safe distance of 40 miles from the scene of action, he tries to excite great alarm amongst the landlord-ridden peasantry of Guador. But those hardy whites laugh at him at long range and despise him at close quarters. He may, by the aid of his Winchester repeater and the coercion government, hope to make gold from granite, but it takes little foreknowledge to prophesy that the effort will fail him. The terms offered him nearly a twelve month ago are still available, and there still remains the alternative of the campaign. Yours truly, James McFadden PP, Guidor, 12th September 1887. The fight was coming along but really it was Father McFadden who made the fa- or who put up the defence and got Gidor people together. Lord Leitrim was in Carrickart 
and one of the things he did, what was done not alone in Ireland, but even in the Scottish Highlands, banished the people and took in the sheep to replace uh, the people. He had a sheep walk. Even some of the people in Carrigart, the McFaddens and the fairies of that area came and lived in Gidor after. Uh, Adair, the um, landlord or in Glenvay, where Glenvay Castle stands now, was once a place with about 60 families. And the landlord there banished the people and turned the place into a deer park. So one, Andy Ronald Neil, one of the people in Glenvay, came to Gidor to live, and he probably brought the news of what had happened there. The Carrigart people came and they told, and without being told, Father McFadden was a native of Carrigart, he saw what had happened there. Our landlords weren't as venomous as that, but these, this was all Alford, vibrant Alford in Falcara was uh, evicting tenants. Some were being evicted in Gidor, so the same was to happen, that would have happened here had Father McFadden not come. The fighting was going on in other places, but he consolidated the fighting, not fighting, but defence here, and got the people together. And they had arrangements that they wouldn't pay rents and they wouldn't give up their lands. And he got them together to stand for their rights and do what was right and do it in the right way, a peaceful way. The Derry Journal, September the 23rd, 1887. Stirring scenes in Gwydor. Today, Colonel Dopping and an emergency bailiff of the name of McIlwain, with 90 police in charge of Mr. Ulick Burke, R.M., and commanded by County Inspector Lennon and District Inspector Stevenson, were engaged serving summonses for the petty sessions at Bunbeg next Monday on parties on the Hill Estate who are in possession as caretakers or trespassers, and who have all refused to give up such possession. Approaching an elevation of the road at Nokastola, a stone hurled by some unseen hand was seen to rise up high into the air and poise, so to speak, over the front of the procession, and suddenly come down with a swoop on the head of the unfortunate bailiff. His hat was knocked off, and the weight of the missile took effect on his bald head, and immediately his face was covered with blood. The special resident magistrate and all the force got into great excitement over this. The riot act was read. The Dirty Journal gives a detailed account of the progress of that particular summons-serving expedition through Guidor, including the first encounter that day between the bailiffs and Father Macfadden. He was driving home from Dunlewy when he came upon the colonel's party at Mina Coing near the hotel. The colonel and the bailiffs then proceeded to the house of the late widow Dugan. The door was closed, but the colonel soon made his way in, followed by the bailiffs. There was a consultation inside, and it looked as if they were going to clear the house. At this stage, Father McFadden stepped into the hovel and took up a position to the rear of the building. There was a good deal of strong talk upon both sides, and eventually Colonel Dopping made in the direction of Father McFadden and put his hands upon him to remove him by force. Father McFadden thereupon required of the Colonel to withdraw from his presence and not place his hands on him or that he should regret it to the last day of his life. The gallant colonel drew back and remained satisfied with saying that he would summons the reverend gentleman to the next bench. 
Father McFadden told him he might take such course as he pleased, but that all the power at his back could not frighten him away from the path of duty. To all appearance there will be a month of hot work in this unfortunate region. And a month of hot work it was, and with each month that came it got hotter as the landlord and the law persisted in their demands and non-payment of rent led to court summonses, evictions, knocking down of houses and general confrontation of establishment and people. These events of 90 years ago left such a mark in Gidor that they are still vividly recalled today in the old tradition of the people. And indeed, some of the older generations, such as Eamon O'David, who is 94 years of age, remember seeing Father McFadden addressing meetings in the parish. Farberg Das, a small, stocky, red-faced man. That's Eamon O'Diver's recollection of the physical appearance of Father McFadden. But the people of Guidor always referred to him as Ansogarth Moore. The Moore related, however, to his status as a canon of the Diocesan chapter and to his qualities as a fighter for their cause rather than to his size. Here is one description of him by an outsider, Arthur W. Fox of Cambridge in Haunts of the Eagle. I saw a little wiry-looking man in clerical garb wearing a venerable silk hat which had seen weather of every kind. His features were distinctly of the Milesian type with a remarkable firm mouth and his hair was long and white. I have seldom seen a stronger face, though it could hardly be called pleasant, and I could picture him defying the government and the law with equal determination. Though something of a rebel, he was a man of singular eloquence and a model parish priest. One of his most useful habits was the war which he made upon the numerous shebeens opened for illicit drinking. If the boys refused to quit the place at his command, he would drive them out with his blackthorn. If the proprietor ventured to protest, the undaunted little priest would forthwith lick him out of his own house. What is more, when the culprit came to confession, he would receive such a penance as made him hesitate to disobey ecclesiastical authority in the future. A formidable man, then, as parish priest. As the leader of his people in the struggle against landlordism, the acknowledged voice of Guidor, a man around whom more legend has grown than about any modern figure, possibly, in Donegal. 
Seamus O'Collard. Well, perhaps uh, along with Pat O'Donnell, I, I might agree with you in that, yes. Uh, Why is this? Well, first of all, he was so very long in Gidor. He was in such a position of status at the time, I suppose. And then the fact of a priest being in jail and he being the cause of another priest from Gartahark uh, being put to jail in Derry and then the killing of Martin. Well, it's very seldom that you do see priests associated with such actions, especially in a backward place like Gidor. Backward at that time, shall we say. Um, but in the parish itself, he, well, he wasn't just too popular. You can't say he was the idol of everybody. And if we look back and look at some of the writings, perhaps I could quote, there is a part here I could quote for you. It, is, it says about the schools in Gidor, All the schools in the parish are to be credited to the enlightened zeal of Canon McFadden. In the selection of teachers, too, he was singularly fortunate. Native genius in overflowing abundance all around, but he exhibited commendable discernment in the choice of masters in the great majority of cases, with the result that the march of intellect proceeds steadily and smoothly. Now, in that same report, it is said further up there, undoubtedly the patriot priest of Gidor had applied himself with characteristic energy and taste to the building of excellent schoolhouses. But the phlegmatic population of Nakfala had disqualified themselves for average consideration by their stubborn refusal to join the Land League campaign. And as he mentioned, Herakrakfala, since he was willing to mention, and Bala at the Gulachrik, and he at the Bonalaka against Krakfala, against Tanyamatan Balashan Nish, no Balanaminabui, the Maze Meal Road, as the Namshan Shinagilahan, Avi Ignafer, as the Gobber Aranvala. But the people in Akfala then, they would not allow the road to go into their town land, even though it was, it seemed to be to their benefit, but they would not allow the road to be built, a road to their benefit, and a road at a time when food was available to the working men. Uh, the second, perhaps, if we come further over in Gidor to the illustration, was the fact that. Uh, uh, the great paper, Piper and Morgidor, had very little respect, I think, for Father McFadden. Of course, the Piper he lived on our promise music. And he used to play in the houses, and there's one story from Carrick where a woman, she only died a few years ago, and I was told that she as a child with three or four other children were listening outside a cottage one uh, early winter night and the people of Moor was playing inside. So this tall man came up with the dark suit with the black thorn stick of course, the usual and he caught them and took them inside he took their names and the names of all the other people who were in there including the people of Moor and he read out the names the following Sunday at Mass and the penance was that the young children listening outside should, for a whole week in early winter now, 
for a whole week, come barefooted, cast nothing, uh, to chapel every day of the week. And the grown-ups would come for the fortnight and go to Holy Communion every day. That was the penance. Father McFadden came to Guidor Parish from Duhuri in 1873, when he was 31 years of age, and he became parish priest two years later. He was there saying Mass at the time a great torrent swept through the church at Derry Beg and drowned five of his parishioners on the 15th of August 1880. The restoration of the church and the impoverished condition of the people generally tested his capabilities as an administrator. Sean O'Gallagher. Hoshi Chaha Chaha Tayurtinchen. I guess the Schemana Schemana Tayhala Mordera. Could you listen to the doctor? We share in Still, making all allowances for a justifiable aversion to the consequences of excessive potion drinking, isn't Father McFadden still remembered in Guidor as a puritanical, harsh, unbending man? There were two opinions. He was, he like, he's still a hero in our eyes. He did wonderful work for the tenants, for the poor of Gidor, and it's poor they were in those days. But uh, he was also, well, I suppose the word dictator would be a bit strong, but he certainly ruled the people of the place with an iron hand. Amusements didn't seem to be in his line at all because dancing, which was always a favourite pastime with the younger generation and probably with the open years also here in Gidor, he was dead down against dancing. Uh, about 300 yards from the parochial house, uh, there was a pub, saloon, Donald um, Donald's pub, and there was a loft attached an upstairs barn attached to the pub and the younger crowd usually came there on a fair day sometimes the middle aged too and the Laini Raini the fair Barney's fair as it was called they gathered there and probably had to drink sometimes more than they should and they went in dancing and if Canon McFadden learned about that. He was soon there with his black thorn stick. And my mother relates that people went helter-skelter, one ran here and one ran there, but they were afraid of their lives. So dancing 
was uh, out for him. But we don't know the circumstances. Like, we can see things as they are now, but uh, perhaps life was different then, because as well as a dancing match, you might have a fighting match. That was another pastime in those days. The best fighter, well, was a hero. So the younger people solved their own problem. They went down to Trai na Karike, and they had their dances there, down on the beach, and there was plenty of flat level ground there, so that's where the dances were held. I don't know his attitude. I suppose music was something else he didn't like, and um, we have people who are fond of music, others who aren't, and we make the excuse that Father McFadden put an end to music, but I think it's unfair really to say that. It's easy saying that now, but we have no proof that that happened. But he certainly wasn't a man for amusement. And what did the older people think of him? People of the generation before 80-year-old Eileen Banvigil of Reedia, for example, who actively experienced perhaps the lash of his tongue or the weight of his blackthorn stick. They didn't think so much of him because he had all the law in his own hands. He was taking the law of the parish in his own hand. Well, I tell you, my, my grandmother got us to school. One day she was going over to a shop for some messages and he was walking them in another road and he says to my grandmother, I heard you letting your, them play ca- cards in your houses, he says to her. And my grandmother replied to him, I would, she says, now let them play football up and down through the houses. She says, anything at all that would keep them inside the house, keep them in the house at night, she says. So she got no more trouble from Father McFadden about, about the card playing anyway. He was, he was very strict about all those things, was he? All oh, those things. He had the law in his own hands. Nothing could be done, you know. Oh, she, Maraduchi Hin, where when I am the law in Gidur, because a beeration, Vishen, well, it's an option or no, I guess, what, the Asian, when say at the parish, and I am far about who are the unsinful. I guess we have a dini brother, a shasper, and I guess a far, far larger than sort. So I guess a real name hanger, jackdaw than aha. We should a while as a dini motion hand, but I guess. Well, he is she get less chasworth on a garden. A fighting man in every sense of the word, as tough as any man in the parish, Father McFadden was known to indulge in fisticuffs to settle an argument or dispute. We in the Rebecca we tripled in your law when you came out pell, kebikin out pell we on some amshin. Ah, we tackled the fighting suez because you know some can fire, but yes, she had a stata and murtikas a year out of a toshin. Because we far away in the task and work, you should not be able to do it. Well, had the fracted a party to There's the party, because one has a machine. Well, you know, then you I'm a frack here, and do so as a secret. I guess, wretched, I guess, wretched, and I guess, I do ban secret a quedding every Easter and Talu. Ah, then the heart to her, dearisha, fresh a little party, I guess, do it. Polyphe and Merlat. 
Adanya be a red naden court nasasana, which a nan fast the thread the mask of Dini Fainwood, Katim Gorlis, a gatany named the Bio and Idor can thread in a shigzarish. We Kedu Gorosha in Talader, Mur Kedu Gorbea Hog and Terran, and Terran a big bell darest he tired. A cabe a hog and ternchen, a ternhan in a brogish gribble, a gusco wilche and martina, a gusco warish and martina, a fein. The shen crete, the noyen y fetere, ruhua, a relayed creter, grosche, a man, a lehete yanu. That was the kind of fighting man of the people Captain Hill, his agents, and the forces of the established order found themselves opposed to. At every turn, they found their designs frustrated by the resourceful Father McFadden. They had a way of telling each other. There were horns in houses. There's one in a house still. If an eviction was coming, somebody went out and blew the horn on this hill. And the message travelled ten miles that way. Somebody else went out and tooted and gave the news that the evictions were coming. And often when the landlords or the evictors came, there were a thousand people assembled to meet them. And they had ways of moving furniture to out of houses. Apparently Father McFadden had his spies in certain places Oh too. yes, it, it, like people came in, they sat down and they probably discussed, they had uh, advance gatherings and they knew who weren't paying their rents and who shouldn't pay their rents. So naturally they knew that evictions were coming up. So people came along and they decided... They might find out tonight that evictions were thing, could take place in door, we'll say, tomorrow, and the message would be to be a fire lit here and a fire lit somewhere else. People got the message, they came together. So there was always an arrangement to hide the furniture, whatever they had. And even yet, sometimes, people find pieces of furniture hidden. Well, we have bogs, we have other places that come up that were, and even, that were hidden in those days. When the evictors came then, there was no stuff left. Where were the first evictions, in fact, of that period? Well, I can't give the first evictions. There was one in Middletown, near where Glen Bay Hotel is now. And the evidence was there for a long time because when people, after the evictions, the houses were usually rebuilt with three chimneys. And that was evidence. The people there were Gallagher's. Now, another house in Door, there were two or three houses in Door evicted. One was Owen Boyle's, the others were Dugan's, and the evidence was there for a long time because the houses were rebuilt with three chimneys on them. And there was another... Uh, that was unusual. That was unusual in those days, probably it was two chimneys. But this was the way of showing that there was an eviction here, it didn't work. The people came back and there are three chimneys on this house. Well, there may have been only one before. Well, there may have been only one before. <laughs> So that's the... Uh, well, there were stories of resistance to some of the evictions. Was it in Crawley oh, or Crawley Dor? and Door, at least there were resistance and rebuilding. Now, one in Door, when the, the, um, the guards, or the police forces that were came with reinforcements to do their evictions. The fires had been lit the previous evening. There was knowledge that evictions were taking place. And when the police force arrived to take the house, they found a large assembly there. A large number of men had gathered, and first they couldn't get near the house. 
So then uh, they always had, we still hear of the riot act, if somebody did something wrong, someone will say, Leishe, and riot act the Russian. So uh, they could read the riot act, and after that they could attack the people who were uh, defending the house. But eventually, they didn't on this occasion, but they managed to get to the house, and they started, they broke a hole in the wall, and what the next got was boiling water. The people inside had lots of water, and one policeman got his face burned. It was probably inevitable that in some one of the numerous confrontations between police and people, somebody would eventually be seriously injured. There was no particular malice towards District Inspector Martin, but in his choice of time and place for the arrest of Canon McFadden, he seems to have shown little discretion, and his arrogant attitude invited reaction. He was saying mass in the big chapel and somebody that was late coming into mass came in and told him that the British soldiers were coming down me in the road. So everybody jumped out of the chapel and they all rushed up and he was... They were up at the parochial house there to arrest our parish priest. But the people protected them from taking him away. And then Inspector Martin, he was the worst of the crowd. He wanted to arrest our priest and take him away from us altogether. So the people didn't let him. And the court inspector Martin and, and kicked him and kicked him on the ground. And whatever way, the, the, what do you call the kneeler? What do you call the kneeler? What do you call the kneeler? Oh, yes, the greeting. The greeting. The strong iron greeting was at the chapel outside the parochial house and whatever way they pitched him down he struck his head on the on the grating and has got his head smashed. So the British soldiers then gathered around and gathered him up and got some sort of coat and took him in, took them with him to to de- where did they take them in one day? To Gidor Barracks, the police yes, barracks yes, at Kidor. The police barracks at Kidor, yes, in Middletown, at and they kept him there, and he died there. The first day, that Sunday, the 3rd of February, nothing happened because people were stunned, were shocked. They didn't go to Mass that morning to kill anyone, and they were shocked that uh, something dreadful had happened. D.I. Martin had been killed. Not that there was a lot of sympathy for him, but no one wanted a killing. And that day, I'd say, people were dumbfounded. They went home, they told the news. But I remember two old men mentioning it when I was a child, that the next thing they did was go into hiding, straight away into hiding. 300 yards from the chapel, there was a hiding place in a little glen where I often played as a child. And there was a bush a gorse bush growing over the place and they dropped that down over the entrance to the hideout. And that's on the very first night after D.I. Martin was killed, Sunday night. It was February, it was cold, but they went to hiding. I'd say by Monday night, not one man in Gidor who could walk was sleeping in his own house. They went, the men left their homes and there's a mountain on the edge of the parish, and most of the men went out and stayed in the mountain. They came in during the night and stayed in houses on the mountainside. One of the houses was Divers of Etichanti, 
quiet remote glen, but they came in and put on fires and slept in the barns there during the night and made for the mountains again in the morning. And for many months after D.I. Martin's death, uh, men had to leave their houses. It didn't end with that, of course. The police came and they went um, looking for those men. Some of them went out to work in their gardens, but uh, usually those were arrested very easily. Others had to be chased for miles. Some of the younger men had great fun um, out of this. There was a bit of amusement because they didn't all take life too seriously. And when they saw the police coming, there were whistles and catcalls. The police then would give chase the younger men usually made for the bogs and uh, they were agile while the police weren't able to keep up the pace and uh, got stuck in the bog. And one old lady who lived on the roadside, she met the men, the army men, giving chase to some of the local men one day and one had to climb up an embankment and he had a moustache and oh, I feel sorry for you, she said, and she caught him by his moustache and hauled him over the embankment and there was some pain but he wasn't, he couldn't say very much because she said, <laughs> so that there were some amusing moments but at the same time people were out and they had a rough time and some of the men in the mountain here behind our house, Tiwilihid, they walked to Derry and got on the boat, worked their passage and went to America. Some stayed and some came back after the whole trouble, long after the trouble was over. Mm. What about the men who were actually charged? How many were charged, in fact? Uh, I would say about 30 that were taken to Maryborough, 30 men. And uh, they got it hard enough in jail. There wasn't a lot of talk. About, like when I was a child, there wasn't so much talk about that. It was just another episode in their lives. They had been to Maryborough. People knew they were there. Our neighbour, one of our neighbours, Connell Lowen, Connell O'Callaghan, who lived quite near here, was one because he had a black moustache. And whatever reason or whatever put into the authorities' heads that they man who struck the fatal blow had a black moustache. Nothing could change them from that. On the 23rd of February 1889, Canon McFadden and 42 other prisoners from Guidor were brought from Derry Jail to Lifford on trial for the murder of District Inspector Martin. On the 31st of March, the priest and 19 others were returned for trial. On the 18th of April, after an application to the King's Bench, Father McFadden and 12 other prisoners were released on bail. On the 17th of October, their trial commenced in Maraborough, now Port Leisha, and between accused and witnesses, a contingent of about 150 people travelled all the way from Guidor. The transfer of the trial to Maraborough was a well-calculated act on the part of the Crown, represented by the Attorney-General Peter O'Brien QC. O'Brien, nicknamed Peter the Packer for his skill in selecting amenable juries, knew that no Donegal jury was likely to convict Father McFadden of murder. He felt too that, with the jury system as it then was, confined to rich property owners, Marlborough described in the Hibernian Gazette as a town kept down by the misfortune of having 35 landlords, some of them as needy as leeches, was the ideal centre in which to obtain 12 good men and true, who would have little sympathy with anyone connected with the Land League or the plan of campaign. 
So, with a jury drawn from the wealthiest class of a comparatively wealthy county, and including justices of the peace, deputy lieutenants, large property owners, gentlemen farmers, rich merchants and millers, and all Protestant but one, a Catholic landlord, Canon Macfadden and the prisoners from Guidor went on trial for murder. The fact that the proceedings were conducted in a language in which probably only the clerical defendant was proficient was a minor consideration not thought worthy of mention. After only two of the prisoners had been tried and Father McFadden had been closely cross-questioned as a witness by the Attorney-General, the trials in Marlborough came to a sudden end in their second week. An agreement had been made between the Attorney-General and Tim Healy for the defendants. It had four conditions. One, all the prisoners were to plead guilty. Two, no prisoner was to be sentenced to death. Three, Canon McFadden was to be released immediately. Four, Sentences totalling 30 years altogether were to be divided among the prisoners. It was an odd sort of settlement for a court of law which involved some of the best legal brains of the time. And the piece of horse trading which allowed the priest, a murderer according to the Crown, to go completely free on a bond of £50 was not the least odd aspect of it. The settlement arrived at by the legal experts at the Marlborough Trials was not exactly received with enthusiasm by either the people of Gidor or the nationalist press. The Freeman's Journal launched forth into a bitter attack on what passed for justice in the courthouse at Marlborough. Tim Healy, the Gidor prisoner's counsel, came in for rather caustic comment. He was accused of reneging on the Gidor prisoners by agreeing to the four conditions put forward by the prosecution. The Freeman's Journal accused Healy of losing interest in the Goodall prisoners when he learned that all the money got up for the defence had been spent. Healy, angered by this attack on his integrity, brought forward a case for defamation and slander against the Freeman's Journal. Father McFadden also came in for some particularly barbed comment. He, like Healy, was accused of reneging on his parishioners. It was claimed by many of his own flock that he went free while the rest of his neighbours were sacrificed to justice and were sent off to spend their term in jail. To others, Father McFadden's plea of guilty was likened to the faint-heartedness which overcame Daniel O'Connell on the eve of his great rally at Clontarf. He had succumbed to English blackmail and threats when complete victory was within his grasp. Father McFadden was never again to place himself on the wrong side of the law nor was he to remain much longer in Guidor. The Canon Macfadden who died as parish priest of Glenties in 1917 was a very different man to the fighting Saugert Moore, who was once, and indeed still is, the hero of Guidor and of the struggle to end landlordism in Donegal. Brave father James, the hero's name, tis how him we do be well. As in a cell the guard him well in a London Derry jail. May the God of love who rules above on him a blessing pour. Twas on that side our father's child in a lovely green widow.